In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. All right, welcome back. Once again, we have another journey, another story, another narrative that we are going to basically uncover. And I, I love this part of the discovery of people's journeys from the time that they were birth to through now where we're at. And with us today, Michael, you go by Mike. Sometimes you said either one's okay. So I'm probably going to end up calling you Mike. Uh, my cousin's name was Mike. So we have, I've got a lot of Mikes in my family, but I'm really, really excited about this one. And, and it is a interesting journey. I know we were sharing in the green room about some of the challenges, some of the things that you've been going through. And so I'm, I'm excited to be able to share this, but honestly, I think the biggest thing that I'm excited about this whole storyline is where you're at today which will come at the end. So you're going to have to listen all the way through, but I'm excited about where you're at today compared to where you started. You know, I'll just leave that as the teaser, but let's go ahead and get started the way we usually do. And we just meet in an elevator. We've got like 30 seconds. Who is Mike? Just give us that 30 seconds of who you are, not necessarily what you do, but who are you? All right. So I'm Michael Williams over the second. I say that's important because my father was Michael Williams over the first. And the legacy he left me was the legacy of faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm a child of the one true king, father of a four-year-old daughter, miracle daughter, and my wife, who it'll be 10 years this December since we've been married. Wow. No, and that's a definitely a legacy when you look back, especially having a miracle daughter and then obviously 10 years of marriage, that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff here, but let's go ahead and jump into the past, the story of growing up. What was it like in your life as you became aware of basically what life was like in your home and what were the things that you kind of discovered and, un and uncovered about perceptions and, and the narrative that you thought you were supposed to live? Sure. So my mother was pregnant at 16 years old, had me at 17. I didn't meet my real father till later. I had really unsafe men come and go in life too, stepfathers, etc. I was left home a lot. My mom would check out and go wherever and I had to take care of my younger brother. So I had believed that life is cruel, life is hard, and I'm just surviving, <laughs> you know? And Later on, I found my cousin, it, my mom and her actions made it known that I was unwanted. And it mm -hmm. turns out later, I was told that everybody except two people told her that she should have aborted me. And then she would use that on me and say, I should have. Wait, wait. So how old were you when this whole aspect started? Was this like immediate? And how old is your younger brother? So it sounded like you were pretty much put in charge at a very young age and given responsibility at a very young age. Maybe just walk us through that. Cause that's a, man, you just, a truckload just backed up and just dumped like, <laughs> Whoa, that's a lot of okay. stuff to just kind of digest in a second here, because there's a lot of things in our lives uh, that we look at of our past. Well, what were the ages? Where were you at? As far as did you, th there's a lot there. Yeah, I was under five and my mom was still fairly young herself. 
So my brother, I'm almost, it was about 18 months. I'm 18 months older around. Okay. So I used to hold him and everything and uh, be the brave man of the house, whatever that meant, <laughs> you know, and just, I just believed that I had to be strong for somebody else. And, uh, what, what, what gave you that? Or was it the, I, I mean, you mentioned a couple of different things, but was it the, the words that your mother said, was it the fact that you were alone? Was it the circumstances? Like, where did that belief start and come from? You know, that's a very curious question. I, cause I, I believe that we're made in the image of God. So God gives you these signposts throughout your life. And for some reason, deep down in my core, I thought something's wrong here and there, there needs to be right in the world, right? There needs to be goodness because there's so much cruelty or not good. Somebody needs to stand in the gap to say, no, I don't fully believe this. So I, even though I believe lies, there's a part of me that wanted to believe something else, wanted to. Mm. And it could have been anything. It could have been a cartoon that God used. I don't know. Batman, I don't know. But there is this part of me that's like, no, it can't be all that way. And I, you know, I was told when I was younger that I was stubborn. Well, I was stubborn for, for a good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think honestly, in every boy that has ever been born, there's this desire to be that hero. I know we kind of mentioned a little bit about John Elridge and he talks about the adventure that every boy feels and it, it is yeah. definitely something that's born into you. It's, it's an innate in your heart, but I think that's what you're speaking to. So, okay. One is you really didn't have a dad and you had a lot of abusive situations with step, whatever stepping in or possibly not even stepdads, just live-ins. Your mom shared with you probably at a very young age that like you were not wanted or shouldn't have been wanted and then use that for manipulation. You were responsible for your brother. There's a lot of weight there. Yeah. That weight, what did that weight translate into? A lot of pressure, but I, I felt a kind of a, a calling, a duty to be used for good. I would stay, I would even stand up. There's, he had bullies that would mess with him. And I would say, no one messes with my brother. And I would face big people because of him, <laughs> because he would go running his mouth. <laughs> but not all the time that, you know, there's this other part of me that I would, you know, we lived in a really bad area, section eight housing, and there was gangs that would go through the cops would go through a lot. There's pirates, except, and I would look out the window and see all this. And I would have a, a metal bat near me thinking somebody can break in. Do I need to protect our lives? And so there's this other side of me that was like, <sighs> Why was I put in this situation? Why can't I have a, a, you know, these other kids at school, they have both their parents and they seem loving and they get to be a child, you know, and I'm over here trying to survive, you know? So that, that was a, a really hard thing. When I met my real father, he had gone through some transformations. He used to be in a, a game called Hell's Angels and escaped that with his life. And then he tried to mature and get a regular job and everything. And so, you know, you talk about wild at heart, you go from a section eight area where I was with my mom and then I'd go with my dad, he lived in the country and I came alive. He would teach me how to shoot a gun or a bow and arrow or all these man things, you know, 
And so I felt like I came alive and had more birds just from, from his encounter with me and the time he spent with me. But was that the beginning of a little bit of a transition for you? Because it sounds like, and, and maybe we just sum, sum it up. What was the narrative that you were fed? What was the narrative that you kind of bought into at an early age before you kind of started waking up, for lack of a better word? Like, yeah. under, like what was that narrative? Maybe just sum that part up. Basically, that I should not have been born and I was unwanted. Mm. You know, and, and, and in fact, it did even impact me where there was times where I had suicidal ideation or even plans. So though there's this other part and when it, when push came to shove, there was this other part that would fight like, no, you need to live. I was so close to doing this or that. And it's like, boom, reality. But how many times was I tempted to go through because of what I believed? Mm. And so you know, what was really hard is that, you know, the good thing is my dad got saved later and he even instilled, he would share, read the Bible with me, et cetera, but he was taken out of life too early. I was only 12 years old. He was 34. My whole world flipped. I had no, no reason as much to cling. And in my teenage years, I was jaded. I, you know, had even more plans for suicidal ideation, et cetera. And I started embracing a lot of lies, not just what I heard, but everything around me. So when we're looking at that, so let me just kind of make sure I have the timeline correct here and what you're thinking. The timeline comes up where you're not wanted. Your parents, uh, your mom specifically says, hey, this is not what I wanted. And so therefore you're unwanted. And man, for any child to hear that from their parents that they're not wanted is devastating and definitely has challenges with part of the development of who you are. And then you step into and you, you get in touch with your dad before the age of 12. And then tragically, your dad's taken away from you at the age of 12. And now there's another transition. There's another situation in your life that's, that's forming. Maybe I could even say reaffirming the fact that life is just bad. <laughs> I mean, like it's yeah. horrible. Yes, bad. And, and it's hard to know who to trust, et cetera. I mean, so you either want to be taken out or you don't really know that you have much to offer. What's going on in your mind at that point in time? I mean, like that, especially at 12, you're still at that stage of developing who it is that you are basically writing and crafting your narrative. And so you've got all of these outside influences going and telling you you're not worthy. You're not wanted. You have no value. And it's like basically all of this pressure saying that, and then internally you're feeling that like, look, I can take up, I can be the hero. I can take responsibilities, but man, you're still young, still have a lot to learn. So what's yeah. going on in your mind at that point in time when your dad passes and now you're out on your own again, maybe just touch briefly on that. Yeah. And you know, at that time I had to survive truly. And this kickstarts some of the entrepreneurial side. I got into being a, a newsboy, a paper boy. Yeah. And through that, I learned how to connect with people really well on the paper, out building relationships, et cetera. And I think God allowed that in my life as a buffer from the, the cruel and dysfunctional home life. I barely wanted to go home because I would either be told verbally things that were really horrible or I'd be hit or whatever it was. So as much as I could, I try to keep myself busy. And so the paper out, I mean, there were so many people who would let me in and we'd have, you know, Pepsi or whatever. And, you know, there's this elderly married couple, which was a good example to me because I saw a lot of dysfunction, not long lasting marriages that are love. Yeah. And that 
now I look back, hindsight, they had a picture of Christ on their wall. And I'm like, they were trying to reach me <laughs> with love, you know, and being like a family. And so I did well in the paper and got good tips. And I, you know, and I, I lived in Ohio, so you got throughout the year raking leaves, shoveling snow, et cetera. So I was always trying to find ways. And because I had to buy my own clothes, I had to buy my own food at 12 and on. And so that was a part of it. And then, you know, I would save money, got a long, a long more and the elderly man, he actually taught me how to do the checker pattern. And so I, I had this imagination that I was poor. So I'd go to the library. I wrote a copy and did the clip art and put a lawnmower looking cartoon character and put it in all the newspapers. <laughs> and by the time I got home, I had like 20 plus calls like, good, I get to get out of the house again. <laughs> and isn't I made it, that interesting. And this is like, this is, I think, a really, really important part is the fact that, yes, there's a lot of trauma. Yes, there's a lot of things that are out there, but yet there are, there's good people in the world. And, and I yeah. think I want to stress that because there's so many people, if you look for them, you can find them. Yeah. And, and our society, our society is telling us so many times that there's nobody worthy out there, nobody valued, but yet you're just giving an example of, okay, maybe my parents weren't the best and my dad was taken too early. And I know he was trying to, to really... And, but then I had these other influences in my life that allowed yeah. me to kind of see and start to understand that life can be different. Yes, yes. And that I'm paraphrasing, but there's a quote from Lord of the Rings that there's good in the world that sports fighting for. Mm. And so that's what I think is that God brought these people to say, ultimately, yes, there's good people, but I am in your life. I'm not just going to let you, I'm not abandoning you. I'm not leaving you to the wolf, so to speak. Yeah, And I used to believe in that lie that I was just like Darwinian evolution. I'm just left to the wolves to survive where I'm always having to look and be vigilant. But no, there's people I can be safe around in their house and over tea and some food or whatever. And so that was a buffer, but I can't say I was perfectly doing everything. You know, I got involved in a lot of bad stuff, whatever. <laughs> yeah i mean like that's that's the typical story so was that the kind of was the paper route the start of the shift to realize that life could be different was that the ability to see and realize hey i actually do have some value here was that the beginning of that perspective shift that mindset shift that was definitely a big part of it but you know what there was little 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 uh, appetizers too when i was little i was diagnosed with dyslexia and there was these loving nurturing therapist teachers and this is where i developed my love for reading because I, I i had a hard time and it's speech and now i do public speaking and I, I i don't even like to have the podium for me i'll just go around and you know so i even i realized my voice has value mm. whereas i was told shut up or i'll you know and so i was like wait there's people who actually want to hear my heart that gave me hope along the way as well ultimately though if you want to go there at 19 is when i had a near-death experience i got jumped by six guys and through that i heard the voice of god and uh, mind you before then i was searching and looking and getting involved in all kinds of stuff and he i heard the life you lived was a lie i have plans for you and i thought what does that mean? Are you saying that every single thing is a lie? 
Like, what is this, some matrix thing? <laughs> no, it's, it, you know, it takes time with the sanctification of the Holy Spirit to un, un, peel off the layers of the onion. What does that mean? Lie after lie that I bought, that I believed, and his healing process to say, no, that's not true. You are a child that has inherent value and worth. I laid my life down for you. And all these things like, for example, that I was supposed to be in the will of my father and I was disinherited. Whereas in scripture, you, you know, you know, someone's life has to be laid down, so to speak, to be in the will. I am in the will of God, the father, you know? And so there was these pieces that I started to realize my life is worth living. I have a purpose. My voice can be used as a conduit to encourage other people who have been through abuse or trauma or shame or et cetera, suicidal ideation, you name it. I remember this lady said to me, everything you went through can be a ministry to reach people. It's not wasted. Well, I think there's that empathy that, that plays out because of all of the challenges that you walk through. There's an empathy that we have for others. So let's walk through some of those transitions of, I call them discovery. What was it like to discover the fact that you have value? Oh, man, I, I feel a little emotional just thinking of it. Just thinking, my life is worth living. I have value. I was born for such a time as this. You know, you read about Esther. Humanly speaking, I was an accident. I wasn't planned. Heavenly speaking, God's bird's eye view, I was planned before the foundations of the earth. So when you believe you have value inside, then it comes out. As Jesus said, the issues of life up from your heart. I started, the value comes out and then I, I have this, view that I want to make sure everybody else around me knows they have value. It's one of my biggest passions to bring somebody out of whatever lies they believe so they know they have value and worth because when that unlocks, all this potential is unlocked as well. You know, God's used different things. That was a part of it. And my wife came in my life and she spoke life over me as well. And that God used that. And the thing is, I don't know if it was two or three years ago, I got on a coach call with you and we figured out my mission which is reaching my fullest potential to help others reach their fullest potential and you know it's it's like i know a guy who has autism and he used to walk around with a hunch and you know he 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 lacked people skills i've known him since 2006 and coached and encouraged him and he walks tall he has confidence he speaks he his vocabulary increased his social skills grew he's do, he's the top performer in the hospitality industry where he works mm. and that's not humanly possible but with god it is so feeling like i have value also makes me believe that we're supposed to share that we're we're not supposed to hoard that we're you know jesus says to shine your light right we're supposed to encourage and build people up. I, I believe that the reason why I was allowed to go through those things, even the lies and so on, is because how would I relate hmm. to people if I didn't go through it? I wouldn't have the authority or 
experience to speak into that. But because I was in the trenches, so to speak, I earned the right to speak into people's lives. I, I think that's a level of confidence. And that, that's where many of us, as we kind of walk through our journeys, we find confidence in who we are because of what we went through. And so let's, let's go ahead and transition into what are your practices today? I mean, I know you said that we, we, we talked many years ago of finding the purpose, but it's not, that's not just a one-time thing. That's an ongoing yeah. daily action. So what are your practices today to be able to create and craft and write that narrative for your future? Sure. So part of it is what do we tell ourselves? It's not just what we heard that we need to combat with the truth that God has. But we need to tell ourselves the truth because sometimes we we've gotten so used to that, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, it's almost as if we were programmed to to repeat those lies like a parrot. So it's stopping and pausing and going, I'm not repeating that anymore over myself. I am, and then you fill in the blanks with the changes and the positives. So speaking it over yourself, but then taking action according to what you believe. You can't just believe it. You have to actually live it. And I've noticed that when I have intentionally done this, doors open, opportunities come. And so how, like do you, how do you live it out then? Like, what do you do on a daily basis to, whether it's reinforcing and telling yourself the truth, stopping yourself from repeating the lie, Walk us through the practices because I, I guarantee there's people that listen that they are continuing to say, well, no, I, it's good for you, Mike, but you know, you don't understand my position. You don't understand yeah. my situation. You don't understand my growing up life. You don't understand my parents. I, everybody says that their, their situation is unique. So what would you say like this? Is, and, and I really want to dive down into this part of it. What do you do who you are with all of the stuff that you've walked through to stop yourself from continuing on in that false belief or in that false narrative, how do you stop yourself every day to not accept that belief about who you are? Yeah. So part of it is I remind myself how short life is. Compared to eternity, this life is a blink. And I don't want to waste my life telling myself lies more. <laughs> you know, I want to be involved, like, you know, God history is his story. I want to be involved in his, he to redeem this story to be used and go out with a good bang, so to speak. So either I can keep wasting my life and, you know, seconds turn to minutes, turn to hours, turn to months, years, etc., Or I can be intentional with those times. And, you know, maybe thinking of five years is too much, but thinking of what I call micro moments, microseconds, and just being intentional in those seconds so example, I've had, I asked my wife to hold me accountable and not just my wife, friends, good friends that I know and trust. I say, if I slip up and I say something that sounds not good, please tell me <laughs> like, Hey, you just said that over yourself. It's almost like you're creating a, you're cursing yourself in a way, like you're creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. What are you telling yourself? So I'll go, Oh, I'm going to correct that. No, this is what it is. So. That, that funny enough, that first feels awkward yes. over time. I, I, can, I can understand how that would feel awkward, but I'm, I'm guessing that it has a powerful impact on self-awareness. 
uh, for yeah. one, I'm um, just being able to be self-aware of what it is that you're actually saying. Cause sometimes we subconsciously just accept this and we talk about it and we ex like, it's just there. It's, it's yes. And, and, you know, when you participate and you have some people let you know, and trust involved in that, like I said, it can feel awkward at first, but then you, you start growing, it grows on you and then you catch yourself and then you're creating new patterns. I mean, when people go to a new job, it's 90 days and you, you know, research shows it takes around that time to build a new habit. Well, if you look at it like 90 days, I'm going to be intentional about catching myself in a lie that I tell myself and replacing it with truth. After those 90 days, you won't be saying those lies as much, if at all. And next thing you know, you're, you're speaking way more life. And then it's not just for you. It becomes so such a contagious habit that you're doing it to other people. You're like, I believe this about you. And they, m most people actually need encouragement. So most, I, I rarely run into, oh, that was a weird thing you said. Or, you know, it's more like, what, really? And it's like the light bulbs and you can, you, you know, how they say that your eyes are the window to your soul. I see it in their eyes that they are so hungry for somebody to give them an encouraging word. And so it becomes addictive in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> isn't it, so. isn't it interesting that you're saying this right now about how you provide that for somebody else. And yet with the ages between your 12 and 19 in the paper route, you had people that were doing this exact same thing for you. Exactly. You know, I saw a movie called pay it forward and I love the concept that you take the good and pass it on. I look at those people, if I was in a relay race, that they were along the way giving that baton, right? They made a difference on me. When we go out of our way to help somebody else and encourage them, we have no idea what's below the surface, you know, the tip of the iceberg and then what's below. Those people didn't know everything about my life or my, my life story or anything like that, but somehow they knew I was a child who needed attention, love, acceptance, acknowledgement, speak life, teach a skill, give me a chance. Mm -hmm. I remember I used to hear, you know, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat once. But if you teach him out, I want to rephrase that though. Not everybody has, is there somebody's hungry for both. They need to be fed physically so they can pay attention better to the life lesson and know how to fish for life. I believe that we need to nourish people with whatever we have and an encouragement word. So like when you treat somebody out to a coffee and maybe a meal and then invest those words of wisdom, I can guarantee you they'll remember that for the rest of their life, that one encounter. So how many, so that, that stays with me. I think about every person I talk to, it matters what you say, what you do. Why did Jesus go out of his way to actually sit with people and say he fed them and spoke word of wisdom into their life? Yeah. So yeah. what greater so, way to bring an impact? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as we wind down here, what would you say is the number one thing you want somebody to walk away with? You matter. Your life matters. And everything you do matters. You, you can make it not only, not only could you, Finally, see how much God loves you and has plans for you. Your life can be used to create a ripple effect 
that you might not even realize for eternity until you see Jesus that there's all these people who are hungry for the same thing. You Just one person you talk to, you can make a difference. So really think about that you were born for a time like this. Uh, yeah, incredible stuff. And I know you're working on a nonprofit. I know you've got several things that are going on. Obviously, we don't have time to go over everything, but I just wanted to throw that out there as kind of bait, <laughs> for lack of a better word, that there's so much more depth to you, Mike. And I, I know that there's so many more things that are going on. So if somebody wanted to check out more about you, your organization, the nonprofits, the things that you're developing and working towards, where can they go to check things out? Sure. Two things. You can find me on LinkedIn. I think I may be the only Michael Sober II on there. <laughs> Roman numeral two. The other thing is valormedia.org. V-A-L-O-R-M-E-D-I-A.org. Probably the simplest way. And we're, we're helping people with biblical worldview that shapes your not only the way you see the culture at large, but your own narrative and God's story and how you could be an agent for change and your spheres that God gave you. That's a big yeah, part right there. And if you didn't catch that, you're listening through the podcast, we will definitely put those things in the notes, the link for LinkedIn, and then also the link for the website. We'll definitely have that in the notes. I, again, I say this every time, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. If you heard something that touched you, impacted you, both my heart as well as Mike's heart is of the, we want to hear from you. We want to know what's going on in your lives. And, and we don't just mean that as a surface thing. We really, truly are inviting you to be able to walk this journey, craft your narrative together with us. And, and that's our, our mission. That's our goal is to be able to come along and support you. If you want to watch and actually see the emotion in Mike's voice, <laughs> if you're listening, you got go to YouTube because you're going to actually see the, the power of the, um, there's so much more that's spoken when we can actually see the emotion and the facial expression. So maybe take a look at that through YouTube. And then again, we'll have more stories. Just stay, subscribe, do what you got to do to be able to hear more of these incredible stories. I mean, as we build them, it's just been an, a phenomenal journey so far. We're going to continue on. So until next time, keep crafting, keep writing your narrative that defies all the false beliefs that you've been taught. You've got to find that true narrative and just keep crafting it. We'll see you again. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.